Uh, when Lana texted me, I thought, I, I read in my head eight days, but Shelley just informed me that little Evie was eight weeks old. So keep the Brower and Westra families in your prayers. Now, this morning I want to complete what we started. At the time, it wasn't part one. It was just the message uh, of Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through uh, 32. But I wanted to come back and pick up a little bit more on the topic of dressing for success and clothing ourselves in Christ. And so I'd like to read for us uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 24. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. I don't know if you catch it, but in uh, verse 20 and 21, Paul says that we're taught the basic teaching that he gave to the Ephesians and now to us is that we're taught to do three things. And the first is to put off the old self. And the second is to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And the third is to put on Christ. So he says if you've learned these, these things in Christ, and what you've learned is to put off the old version of you, to be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and third, to put on the new version of you, which is patterned after, in fact, is ours to put on because of Jesus Christ and his resurrection. I did want to note uh, a word in verse 22 when it describes um, being corrupted, which means uh, we're being spoiled not in the sense of being given too much of something, but we're being caused to rot. We're being destroyed by desires. And desires sometimes seem a little hard to pin down in our thinking, but if you think of your emotions or strong feelings, those emotions and strong feelings, Paul says, trick us. They deceive us. That's what he means when he says 
by these deceptive desires. Our strong feelings, our strong yearnings, our strong aspirations, at least being formulated and fueled by the old person, not knowing anything about God, estranged from God, not knowing what God has done in Jesus Christ, these drives that push us around in life are destructive. And the word that is used of our former conduct or way of life is a word which is rather colorful. It means to, to turn around, to go around in place over and over again. And as I was thinking about that, it took me back to 1971 when I was 18 years old. And I was on Russell Street in Berkeley with about seven other friends. And it was New Year's Eve. And uh, we were, there was an expression for it back in the day, and it was, uh, we were getting stoned. And at one point, I wanted to go up to the roof. It was a three-story house, and on the top, it was flat, except there was one room, and then there was a, a large area where you could walk around. You could stand against the, the edge of the, the wall, which would come up to about your chest, and you could look out over the whole Bay Area and the lights of Berkeley and the whole city and San Francisco in the distance. And I stood up in the house where there was a circle of people and I started going around in place like I'm doing right now and I kept repeating myself, has anybody seen my jacket? Has anybody seen my jacket? Has anybody seen my jacket? And this went on for a while until a friend stood up and brought my jacket and he said, John, you need to sit down, man. I was a pretty sensitive kid at 18, and that really hit me very hard. And I just, I was so embarrassed and ashamed. I didn't realize what was going on. I, I, I wasn't aware of what everybody else was aware of. And I went up to the roof as I had intended by myself and I just paced, chastising, you know, beating up on myself, calling myself names. But it started something that ended a few months later in my turning to Jesus Christ because I really felt like I had walked away in my life from people that I didn't like but who loved me, people who cared for me, even though I didn't want to hang out with them. And I'm talking about the people that were at the church where I was attending. Um, you know, I was 18. I wanted to strike out on my own. I was kind of full of spit and polish. 
And that night I realized I wasn't any of that and I had turned my back on the people who really cared for me in my life and that the world was, was actually very, very cold. But the, the reason I tell you that story, it, turning around in place is not always, not only a, an example of what we call conduct because it's repetitive, but sometimes we become so comfortable in it we don't realize what's happening to our lives and I was destroying my life and I didn't realize it until that shocking or what was for me a very shocking incident and it caused me to rethink about what my life was about where I'm going what really matters what I'm doing with my life because I felt in a sense that was symbolic of my life that I was just going around and around and around and around and around Paul uses clothing word pictures for the three stages so to speak of our life in Christ our baptism is used putting on uh, when we put on the new life as we're raised up from the water that's a putting on of Jesus Christ, Paul says in Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 and 27. We die to ourselves, we die as Christ died, and we're raised to newness of life. We're putting on new life that's not of our making. It is a life that is made by God, and it is ours in, in Jesus Christ. That's the beginning. That's the conversion. That's the death and resurrection, if you will, of the old person to the new person. And then there is the, at the end, so to speak, really I like to think of it more as God's completion or consummation is the resurrection. When we will actually put on the new life that now is ours through the Holy Spirit. But one day we will be in a constitutional sense, we will be reworked and remade completely. But in between our baptism and our resurrection, there is our daily discipleship. And that's what Paul is looking at right here in Ephesians chapter 4. He's looking at what... Brian so ably illustrated this morning in some of the things that he shared with us. But I wanted us to look at, just for a moment, Colossians 3, verse 12, where Paul says, Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. I mean, when was the last time I called myself holy and beloved? But that's what God calls me, and that's what God calls you. And as one who is holy and one who is beloved, put on then. And notice what we are to put on. Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. These are the very characteristics of Christ. He breaks it down into some specific examples, 
But when you put on Christ, you're putting on these qualities. Or when you seek to put on these qualities, you can actually put them on when you're putting them on, so to speak, in Christ. Because it is through his power and not our own that we are able to love as we've never loved before. To love without condition. To love sacrificially. And that's what he goes on to say. Love binds all these things together. So I want to underscore that because when we think of daily de devotion to Jesus Christ, or what do I do in this situation? Well, yeah, there are the mechanics of our plan or our action plan that we're working on, but let's always remember love. Paul in 1 Corinthians 13 said, if you don't do it with love, it ain't worth a hoot. Well, that's just my translation, that last part. A lot of you don't know what a hoot is. That's, I don't know what a hoot is either. <laughs> I think it's what an owl does. Hoot, hoot. I would say that's worth a thousand hoots. So keep that in mind. This last Thursday, uh, was a day I'd like to forget. Thursdays, for me, are dedicated to preparing for this moment. And the plan was thrown out, and all kinds of other things came up on Thursday. And in the late afternoon, around 3 or 4, I was frustrated and discouraged and on the edge of being, well, I was testy. And all day, I kept trying to put on Christ, put on Christ, and put on Christ. I don't know that anybody else really noticed what I noticed. Sometimes inside, it's really loud, it's really apparent, and it isn't known on the outside. Uh, if you were to look inside, uh, you would see kind of this kind of thing. This is the way I was seeing myself, you know. Um, I had this face that I was seeking to show everybody else, and I was using words that I wanted everybody else to hear, but inside, I, I didn't, you know, I wasn't feeling it. I wasn't feeling it at all. And it, I, I think this next example really gives a better idea of how I see myself when I'm struggling between the former, the old self, and the new self. Because really it is kind of the difference <laughs> uh, between a vulture and an eagle. Um, We're saved by grace, right? In fact, in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, Paul actually says, you are saved by grace. It is a gift of God. It is not of yourself. It is not of works. 
And then he goes on to say in verse 10, we're created for good works. It's his master plan for his life, revealed, revealed in Jesus Christ. Just like before the foundation of the earth, in the secret counsel of God, in his heart, if you will, or his mind, he determined in advance what he was going to do through Jesus Christ. And in that advanced determination, there is all of those who turn to Christ and call him Lord, for he is the king in God's economy. And in his lordship and in his life and what he's going to accomplish, those good works that God envisioned are ours to fulfill. But we must do it in his strength. We must do it in him, not in our own strength. So we're saved by grace, but here's what I want to impress and underscore upon you. We live by grace. Thursday was, I'd give myself a grade of C. They still use A, B, C, and D's. I think they're doing away with it. And, well, it was a C on my piece of paper. But it was an A as far as trusting the Lord and talking to the Lord and falling and getting back up. Yeah, I wasn't soaring like an eagle. I was walking sometimes like a vulture. But I was engaged with the Lord. And toward the end of the day, I went into Michael's office and I sat down and I said, man, I'm just, I'm, I'm not doing, <laughs> I'm not soaring today. This has been a hard one. And you know why it gets to me especially since it was a day that I was preparing for this? Well, it's because I'm preparing to talk to you about something that I want to be real and want to thrive in my own life. It's pretty hard for me to have a day like that and then get up and talk to you about these things when I feel like I'm stumbling around and falling on my face a lot. But that's really what I, I want you to appreciate about the experience of putting on Christ. It isn't like the movies and some superhero. He dons his cloak and all of a sudden he's transformed. This is about trusting Jesus. It's about turning it over to him. It's about working through it with him. And sometimes there are challenges that we don't have any experience in and they rock our world a little bit more than others. And we battle internally. And so I want you to appreciate how important that is. So yeah, I, in the end I'd give myself an A for trusting Jesus. It was a great day. At the end of the day I was I was grateful that I had tried and not given up and not quit and not given in to the old version of John because God's life is handcrafted. It's not mass-produced. And that's what God is doing in your life each and every day. This idea of putting off the old self, being renewed in the spirit of your mind and putting on Christ 
is about being conscious of the Lord in your life and his work in your life and how you turn to him and you take his hand and you lean on him. But you have to practice that because the old self is so comfortable and familiar. It's just cozy. It's like that old chair or that old piece of clothing that you just don't want to get rid of. It's your favorite. And so it's not the thing that you pull out of the closet when you need to put something on. This new self. And that's what I want us to appreciate To succeed in Christ, there's only one thing we have to do, and that is dress for success. Clothe yourself with Christ. And we're taught to put off, to be renewed, and to put on the new self. Put off the old because we can. We have a choice in Christ. That's a choice we should not take for granted. It's a new life. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind because the work of faith takes place first in the mind. It does. It takes place first in the mind because that's where the truth that has been revealed to us in Jesus Christ has to be planted. It has to take hold. It has to gain supremacy over all of the things that are a part of the old self, the old society, the old culture, the old way of doing business that we get from the internet and from television, that we get from music, that we get from an array of things. And these little bits and pieces of information shape the way we see the world and the way we see ourselves. And then we open the Bible and we we reflect on what God's saying. Holy and beloved. And it, <laughs> there's that crazy nonsense again. And yet it's a truth that is ours in Christ. That the world is not going to reinforce and encourage. So the renewing of our mind is so very important. These steps are hard in the beginning. Like I said, the old self doesn't seem old. It seems familiar, natural, and comfortable. The old has been around a long time, and it's reinforced by family and friends. But a lot has changed with Jesus. It's been 2,000 years. Yes, that seems like a long time ago. But radical change has taken place in Jesus Christ. The world has been changed. And we focus on what it isn't. But when we see Christ at work in his church, in his people, in the community through his people, we see something that happened 2,000 years ago but is new and real. But sometimes that new is foreign to us, and it's certainly foreign to the world around us. That's why Paul says in 17 and 18, verse 17 and 18, he speaks of the futility of our thinking, darkened in our understanding, and speaks of the ignorance that is in them when, it's talk, when he's talking about the old, the old man, the old woman, the old person. This new thinking, 
This truth in Jesus Christ powerfully shapes our emotions, our attitudes, and our actions. David Ekman was uh, with us the very Wednesday before I was going to speak on this passage for the first time, what was that, about three weeks ago? It was in the end of May. And he shared with us, I had no idea he was going to, he shared with us about Ephesians 4, verses 22, 23, and 24, the very verses we're looking at this morning. And he talked about instinctual beliefs. Instinctual beliefs. In other words, the, the kind of ingrained ways we think that we've gotten from parents and friends and music and television and, you know, Hollywood and, and just from the world around us. And he gave a few examples of these instinctive beliefs or ingrained beliefs that we catch and become a part of us. For example, he gave one, I am what I do. Sometimes we think, I am what I do. We may not put it in those words, but we think, if I don't perform, or it is based on my performance, the way I shine, the way I achieve, what I can do and what someone can't do, that's who I am. Men, when, we, when the bubble burst, the financial economic bubble in 2008, and many were out of work, Take a man out of his vocational pursuits and put him at home for three or six months with nothing to do but look for a job. And his whole sense of self and identity will start to crumble before your eyes. He'll begin to question his worth, his value. And... Sometimes we say to ourselves, I'm worthless. Sometimes we buy into the fact that others cannot be trusted. Well, I know historically, just in these United States, I lived through the Watergate days, and there was a huge shift in the trust of the country in our statesmen, in our leadership. And that has been pounding and pounding and pounding ever since. It's at screaming proportions how uncivil we are as a nation. And I think the fact that we have attributed to other people negative motivations and we don't trust them or we don't trust anybody these are things that we can acquire God is distant and doesn't care the world is a threatening place I'm a victim others have created my painful life here's another money and education determine my worth my identity who I am Well, David was saying these things wage, these ideas, these beliefs wage guerrilla warfare on the truth of God. 
And these false fragments of thoughts and beliefs work their way into our perspective. Perspective signifies the kinds of patterns of thought we have about life. If our worth to ourselves, our sense of self-worth, or the way we think of our worth to others, if that's based upon the false belief that I am what I do, just for one example, then our perspective will reflect that. We'll believe that we must do everything right and not fail to be acceptable, to be approvable, to be applauded, to be appreciated, to be accepted. Our perspective activates our emotions. Emotions are the heat of our thoughts. As we think, so we are, and our emotions go up and down and around driven by our beliefs. If we do well, then we feel good. If we don't do well, we feel bad. As a result, our actions correspond to the emotional storms and calms within us. And this cycle of false instincts influencing perspective, influencing emotions, influencing then actions, creates a reinforcing cycle or loop. And our emotions or feelings are so strong that they validate falsehood and they fight the very truth of God in our lives. Garbage in, garbage out. And yet Paul, again and again and again, is saying, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Exercise spiritual breathing, as Bill Bright used to uh, describe it. In Romans 12, 2, listen to this. Paul says, let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Or Romans 8, 5. Those who live in sync with the Spirit have their mind on what the Spirit desires. Have their mind on what the Spirit desires. In Colossians 3.2, set your mind on the things that are above and not earthly things. Or Philippians 4, 8 and 9, whatever is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, if there's any excellence, set your mind on these things. Sometimes we let the temperament of society or the things that we're listening to or looking at affect our temperament. We don't question what they're saying. We don't ask whether it's accurate. We don't evaluate what we're hearing and seeing by the virtues of what God has revealed and said about what is true and holy and good. Why? Because a lot of times we spend more time listening to everybody else but the Lord and we're not spending time in His Word. We're not reflecting on it. Even if you were to take just just spend time in Ephesians while we're in Ephesians. And spend a little time each day or jot down a few words that that speak to your heart. And think those thoughts. 
They're great thoughts. Our emotions flow from thoughts. If you think those thoughts, it will adjust like a barometer, adjust the temperature of your emotions and your life. Mind your mind. Thought patterns become habitual as brushing teeth sometimes, and we don't even realize that we're into thought patterns. So mind your mind. Challenge yourself. I don't like to think of what I do as preaching, but it has a rich and noble history. Preach to yourself. It's helpful. Learn to set your mind. We can choose what we pay attention to. And we can give weight to what's more important and not give everything equal place. And feed your mind with excellence. Feed your mind with excellence. And then, as you're being renewed in the spirit of your mind, you'll find that you'll be growing in Christ as you're working through these things. And you'll be realizing the power that you have to be genuine and authentic and loving and kind and forgiving, even if sometimes it's initially a struggle. But you'll realize that's what you're working toward. And in that process, you won't just be daydreaming or sleepwalking through life. Here's a, an example. At the time, I wanted to share this. And uh, that was the end of May. And uh, the end of May was the, I don't know, like the 17-year, um, it was the anniversary of a conference, a passion conference, as it was called. One Day 2000, and it was in the year 2000. So 17 years ago. And a man by the name of John Piper was in his 50s, and this was like a whole all-day kind of rock concert. I mean, they had music and stuff, but they had different speakers speaking all day coming up to the platform. And there was 40,000 college students out on the grass listening. And it was in the afternoon, and John Piper came up. And, of course, if you've ever been to an event like that, whether it's a, a passion conference or a rock concert... You know, people are doing lots of different things. And sometimes uh, when somebody comes to the stage, it takes a while for that group or that person to get their attention. And John Piper got up and started talking. And the, like I said, these were college students. So this is a 50-year-old looking guy. And he started talking to them about two women who had died recently. They'd been serving the Lord in Cameroon. Both women were in Cameroon driving a jeep from village to village serving the Lord and they were both pushing 80 years of age. And they were killed. They lost control of their jeep and went over a cliff and like that they were dead. And John Piper asked, is this a tragedy? Two women in their 80s almost, a whole life devoted to one idea. Jesus Christ magnified among the poor, the sick, in the hardest places. 20 years 
they're still out it after most of their American counterparts have begun to throw their lives away on trivialities in Florida and New Mexico. These two flew into eternity in a moment with their death. And John Piper asked, is this a tragedy? And the crowd knew the answer. And they all affirmed, no. It is not a tragedy. And then John Piper said, I'll read you what a tragedy is. And Piper pulled out a page that he had torn out of a Reader's Digest that he was flipping through while waiting in the doctor's office. I'll read you what a tragedy is. And he held the paper up and he read these words. Bob and Penny took early retirement from their jobs in the Northeast five years ago when he was 59 and she was 51. Now they live in Punta Gorda, Florida, where they cruise on their 30-foot trawler, play softball, and collect shells. That's a tragedy, he told them. And there are people in this country that are spending billions of dollars to get you to buy it. I get a few minutes to plead with you. Don't buy it. With all my heart, I plead with you, don't buy that dream. As you stand before the creator of the universe to give an account with what you did with your life, do you want to say, here it is, Lord, my shell collection, and I've got a good baseball swing, and look at my boat. That is the dream, unless you know Jesus Christ. And if you know Jesus Christ, then you, you know there's so much more. Will you stand with me? Success is not about things, not about what's on the outside. It's what a, the Lord's doing in your heart, what's on the inside. That should be the most fascinating and interesting object of your interest. What is Jesus doing in me? Because when he's at work, it will affect everything else. The choices and decisions, how you feel, your emotions. And live, you will live. Live life like you've yet to live it, if you haven't lived it yet in Christ. Put on Christ. Clothe yourself in Christ. He is life. Peace, love, joy, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, kindness, self-control. It's not about trying harder. 
It's about realizing this new life we have in his strength through faith in him. Try it. You'll like it. Let me pray for us. And as I'm always want to tell you, I'll be up here along with pastoral staff, elders, and spouses. If you'd like to pray with us, if you'd like to receive Jesus Christ, if you'd like to make him Lord and King of your life today, come. If you want to pray for yourself, come. If you want to pray for someone else, come. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ, for this new life. Thank you for even the times when we limp because you lift us up. And what was yesterday's limp is today's trot as we walk with you and run with you and live for you. So we pray that you might become large to us today in ways that will encourage and challenge us, affect us, not in Cameroon, but here in Visalia, in our homes where we work with our friends and family. We praise you and thank you in Jesus' name and all of God's people said.